Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast before, and I hope you have, uh, you know I've talked with people from every single state, from Florida to Alaska and Maine to Hawaii and all points in between, from U.S. Senate to school board and all kinds of elections in between. But just because school board was on that lower end based on Senate doesn't mean that it's less important. In fact, especially right now with the tax on education, um, things that have happened from COVID, and all sorts of other things happening in the school in schools across the country, from guns to uh, history and everything, uh, school boards may be the most important elections in the country right now. And it's an election that can often be decided by tens of votes, not much less thousands of votes like when you're running for U.S. Senate. And I'm excited to go back to Virginia today uh, to talk to my new best friend, or new friend, we'll, we'll, we'll see how close of friends we'll be. His name is Nick Gothard, and he is running for school board in Ludon County, Virginia, and uh, we're going to find out why he's willing to do that and why it's so important. So, Nick, thanks for talking today. Thank you for having me, Tony. So, this is an audio podcast, but I think anyone that looks you up is going to realize that you were significantly younger than me. I mean, I look like I'm 20, 10 years older than I am sometimes. Uh, but um, I always ask everyone here, have you always been politically minded, like not just voting, but like active? Or did something kind of spur you to say, I'm going to do more than just go vote. I'm going to volunteer or take part in elections in a bigger way. Definitely. It's a, a great question. And I think, um, you know, in part, yes, I've always been um, politically, you know, minded and active. Um, but for me, that always sort of began with uh, service and uh, and community involvement. And that very much uh, landed itself sort of in the political realm. Um, and, you know, I was raised by uh, two working parents here in Loudoun County uh, who you know, work to give me and my siblings every opportunity uh, that they could for a, a brighter future for us. And, you know, through uh, the difficult times of the recession growing up, um, through things like coming out in high school as gay, um, you know, you are exposed to so many other challenges in your community and so many opportunities to improve the lives of others. And I think that the more my eyes were opened uh, to those opportunities, to the challenges that I faced and my neighbors faced. It really lended itself to politics uh, and, you know, the the work around that as the avenue to really achieve the, the foundational systemic change that we needed uh, to improve other lives in our community. And so that's sort of how I found my way into, into being so involved. You know, I have... Um seen that in stand-up comedy, which I like a lot, that some of the best comics have gone through some sort of struggle, whether it's something at home, um, like you said, the economy, like, you know, trouble with finances at home, and then they went into comedy, or, um, you know, mental health issues, and then they, like, comedy was their release. Do you think that it's important, maybe, for the people we get into run for office, that we kind of flip the script so it's not just about a big resume, but people who have faced some kind of challenge like what you experienced because you, you you're, what you said wasn't too uncommon but you talk mm -hmm. about your challenges more than like your resume definitely i think that lived experience is is not something that you can you know learn on a on a foundational level um and you know i i'm running against 
uh, someone who represents me right now who tried to end universal free school meals in our um, in our county. And I grew up on free lunches mm -hmm. in the county. And so, you know, I'm not going to have a representative tell me what is and what isn't important about what kept me fed every day. And I think that when you look at things like housing, when you look at things like racial justice, environmental justice, the lived foundational to the passion that folks have. And I think that for a lot of folks, it can be the catalyst to get them into the spaces where they can be making decisions and advocating for a better change. Um, but we also see that some of those challenges can be the things that hold so many folks back from running for office, um, you know, for the very first time. And so, um, you know, one thing that I'm very passionate about is making sure that I show young people and people who grew up um, in economically disadvantaged families uh, that you can run for office and you can be the change uh, for communities and for families that look just like yours. So that brings us to the fact that you are running for school board in Loudoun County. What, what spurred you to say that not only are you going to run for office, but you're going to run for school board? Because in my experience, a lot of younger people, when they think about politics, they just immediately think of legislature at the at the at the least, and school board's so important. Definitely. Uh, you know, and I've always been a, a local office, you know, local government policy uh, sort of nerd because those are oftentimes the most powerful, the most impactful um, of our day-to-day -day lives. I think uh, for me, you know, I've, I've lived in Loudoun County all my life. Uh, it is my home and this community raised me. Uh, and as I told you, uh, my parents moved our family here because of the schools and uh, because of every educational opportunity, every uh, personal and professional opportunity that uh, our public schools afforded, my siblings and I. And so, uh, you know, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who is in tuned uh, to politics, definitely in Virginia, but maybe across the country doesn't know uh, that the Republicans tried to use Loudoun County as their uh, their culture war ground zero um, and injecting uh, their politics to divide our community and to really, uh, you know, use my neighbors, um, the people who, who raised me and instilled uh, fantastic values upon me as uh, their means to enact their conservative agenda and win elections last year. Um, and so here in Loudoun County, our representative um, in my district, she passed away uh, last year. She was a fantastic champion of public education and of, uh, of every student and every teacher and every family. Uh, and the school board appointed someone who uh, so easily turned away from all those values. And I think that it showed, it showed me definitely, but I think it showed a lot of us in the community how easily we can lose things um, if we take them for granted and how quickly progress could be erased if we don't pay attention and we don't always stand up for the values that we know our community holds and cares about. Because we did just elect this fantastic representative in 2019 um, with 60% of the vote. I mean, that was a, a wide mandate and a wide directive. And they appointed, um, the school board appointed the person who lost to her, who earned 30% of the vote and stood, you know, in opposition to many of the things that she ran on. And um, so really a combination of seeing uh, my community and, you know, people that I care about, educators that gave me everything and neighbors that afforded me um, so many chances attacked and demonized and values that I know we, we hold and, um, you know, policies that we value uh, uh, cast by the wayside. Um, and so there was an opportunity, I think, to run and anyone could have taken it, but to me, 
it was recognizing that if I'm going to say that I care about these things and I'm going to show that I care to our teachers who taught through COVID, to our students um, from minority groups who need us, um, to the families who want the best education, the best opportunities for their family, I need to show them that I really do care. And this is the least that I can do. And doing that is being that champion of these community values. Yeah, that backlash, it seems very odd not being in Virginia. But, you know, I see school, my kids, I have young kids who are in school now. Um, but it seems like Virginia is all so many people want to talk about, especially, I guess, because DC media lives down the road. So it's kind of what they're thinking about. But since you're there, do you see an actual pushback from your community against things that have happened in the schools? Or is it more of a, you know, I only like, you know, how the conservatives say virtue signal, like a vice signal by Republicans <laughs> saying like, oh, we're going to stand up to those people. And so they can appeal not to Loudoun County, but so they can appeal to other parts of Virginia. So is it an, uh, a real backlash or is it something that they're just taking advantage of? So I, th- I think you've got really two things mm-hmm. um, sort of in, in the answer. And um, number one, I think you're absolutely right uh, that Republicans would like to use Loudoun County as their their test subject and as their, um, you know, they place it on a pedestal, not in the, you know, very, very nice sense of the word, but as a, um, as a motivation to other, other communities in Virginia and being like, look at, you know, Loudoun County and you wouldn't want to be like them. And that's why you should vote uh, for Republicans this fall. And I think that uh, to some extent that that did work in the 2021 gubernatorial election um, as, you know, a motivator for Republicans. I would say that it's not entirely founded um, the claim that there is, you know, a significant shift happening in Loudoun County. Um, I'm spending as much time as I can on the doors talking to voters, talking to families and parents and students and teachers in Lamb County. And every door that I've knocked has been a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, every you know family that I talk to, uh, they don't want to talk about critical race theory. They don't want to talk about you know whatever the hell gender ideology is. Um, what they do want to talk about school transportation. They want to talk about uh, why the bus was late. Uh, the you know the meals their kids eat, mm-hmm. making sure that they have access to AB calculus or um, BC calculus, you know, advanced courses like that. And to me, that's the most refreshing thing because it uh, it confirms for me what I've thought to be true uh, ever since Loudoun County sort of did heat up last year. Is that um, this is the same community that raised me that has very American, compassionate. Um, values. And, uh, you know, I think that you'll see us articulate on those values in, in this November and push back against some of those narratives. And one of the things I've also seen, and maybe you've seen this too, just here in my district with COVID issues, especially, were that some of the loudest voices were the people who didn't actually have any kids in the school. And the people who have kids in our schools are usually much happier than the people who don't have kids in the school. Or it's like, it's a weird mix. Are you seeing different perspectives on the schools based on if they actually have kids going to the schools now? I think that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would say that we've got a pretty consistent um, group of folks who are advocating against, I mean, the entire notion of public schools, but um, very loud about um, 
you know, articulating their conservative values. Um, and, you know, a good amount of them do have uh, children in the schools. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, naturally they should have their voice heard because they do have a, a stake in the game there. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, a good amount of these folks would also like to dismantle public schools um, and, you know, fund a, a charter school program. And so I don't find it entirely honest in an approach um, to say, you know, to demand all these changes um, in pursuit of dismantling the entire system. Um, but, you know, we, we do have folks who have grown frustrated with the system, who do have kids in the school because it's not working for them mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and so, you know, I've been very deliberate in my approach about making sure that we don't cast a wide net over everyone who might have issues with the schools, um, because I do believe that we always have areas to improve and families that we can help more. Um, but I think that there's a large difference between people who want the schools to work better for them and people who want uh, to completely uh, destroy public education in the community. And so you're running, and you don't just have a stance as a defense of public schools, but also you have an affirmative agenda, I assume, for the schools. What are the things that are most important to you to do as a school board member? Because if you turn on Fox News or any of those channels, they think that if Nick is running for school board, his agenda is some wild conservative fear-mongering, right? Problem. But maybe that's true. I don't know. I haven't talked to you about it. So, like, if you have an agenda, like the top three or five things, what are the things that you concretely would want to try to accomplish as a school board member? Definitely. So uh, we got a lot of opportunity uh, in this race to talk about things that we want to fight for. Uh, The only limit is that I am running in a special election for a term that lasts for one year. And so we need to be realistic about what we can deliver for voters while also making the case for why we need to continue when I run for Mm re-election next year. I think the top thing is making sure that we've got a literacy curriculum that works for every student. Um, Since before COVID, we've seen literacy scores that were subpar to where we need them to be. Um, And that extends uh, largely from the fact that we have a literacy curriculum that isn't rooted in what the research suggests works best for students. Um, So we're very much uh, right sort of on the opportunity of adopting a curriculum that is more phonics-based, you know, and consists of decoding and Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the really great science-backed strategies for our students. And I believe that that will work really well. And um, on top of adopting it, what we really need to do is make sure that we thoroughly implement it. That means giving every student um, and teacher the supports that they need for this adjustment. It means making sure that in every room where we are teaching literacy, and that includes English language learner classes um, and, you know, for students with disabilities, uh, that this is being done is being done right. And I think that um, that gets us very far when it comes to literacy. I think the literacy is a foundational educational element for all our students. And, you know, Lord knows you're not diving deep into uh, European history if uh, you didn't quite master third grade reading. And, um, you know, we've seen the scores and the scores based on a subgroup as well for students with IEPs, for students from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, and for students of color are much lower. And so, you know, if you want to talk about equity in our schools, let's start with literacy and let's tackle that. I think we can also be a lot smarter about school infrastructure. Um, Here in Loudoun County, we've got a very sharp divide uh, between our oldest schools, which are close to 60, 70 years old, Mm -hmm. and the newest ones uh, we opened you know, two high schools in the last two or three years. Um, And they're, you know, 
state-of-the-art fantastic. Um, and, but the oldest schools haven't seen um, much renovation or much attention in quite some time. And so I think that we can be a lot smarter and adopt um, some of the guiding principles that we use for transportation um, infrastructure upgrades here in the Commonwealth of Virginia for school infrastructure. Um, my delegate, Delegate David Reed, planned uh, to introduce a bill uh, sort of modernizing our school infrastructure across the Commonwealth of Virginia. And unfortunately, that uh, did not make it to the floor. But I think that we can adopt a local version of that that really guides our capital improvement program um, and is really smart about the way that we make sure that no school facility is left behind. Um, because as it stands now, unless the superintendent recommends that you know, a certain project gets done, or um, like we just saw here uh, a few weeks ago with one particular school, unless the parents and the students uh, are really loud and passionate about showing that they need renovations or complete reconstructions, um, sometimes things will fall through the fall through the cracks or are not prioritized the way that they need to be. And that's just such a disservice to our teachers and to our students and our families. So, um, you know, I think that those are really realistic goals to accomplish in the year. I think that um, it takes someone who has a forward-thinking vision um, with a track record of delivering results, and I, I think that I've got that, and I think that the voters want to see those changes implemented. You know, you may see my face as you were talking there, especially with your delegate, Dave Reed, talking about um, school infrastructure and not getting that passed. And then you talk about the other, your opponent, who apparently wanted to defund school lunch programs or cut them back, whatever the actual vote was. Those are things that are very important in my district. Like my, our school, the kids can access free lunch this year. And it was so important during COVID, especially. I, it seems baffling to me that that is a policy from anyone. That that's a, a like that that would be something that people would advocate for cutting school lunches or not support school buildings. Do you have do you have a, an opinion yourself? Like a concept of why people push back against the needs of schools? Is, are they just detached from the the experience of schools or is it from other issues? Why do you think there's a pushback against doing things, these things that you and I probably think are just very common sense? Yeah. And I, I think, you know, when you talk to a majority of voters, they are common sense. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, unfortunately, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, we've got folks who don't want public schools to exist. And so, uh, you know, when you, throw any amount of money to helping students in public schools, uh, they're going to be against that. And they'll bend over backwards in the logic, but at the end of the day, uh, they don't want to help students that don't look like them, and they don't want schools uh, that teach ideas that scare them. And so they'll do anything they can to stop that. Um, I think that also, at, you know, its core is um, and some detachment um, from, you know, what it's like to grow up economically disadvantaged. Um, what, you know, different pieces move together to affect each other looks like. Uh, my current representative, when he uh, tried to, you know, end that universal free school meals program, um, and he was the only vote to do it, which is absurd. And um, <laughs> we, can we can talk all day about that. But he said um, that it was uh, negatively impacting the quality of, um, of school lunches here in the county. Um, and, you know, disregarding the federal funds, the way that, you know, all of that worked, the, where the funding came from for the, um, those COVID meals. I mean, that program ended you know, this summer, as you know. And guess what? School lunches haven't gotten better. Uh, and so, you know, it, it's entirely disconnected from reality. It's not evidence-based. Um, some folks think they just know better. And, you know, for whatever reason, 
how they're raised or whatever professional personal experience they have. They just think that they have all the answers. And that's why you need someone who's willing to listen and go out in the community and be with the people that you're supposed to represent and admit that you're not always going to have the right answers, but you're never going to stop trying to learn from everyone that you represent and are supposed to fight for. What do people think that school lunches should be? Like my kids are, let me think again, they're eight and six, right? So they're in first and third grade and they have like, they're happy if the lunch is grilled cheese if it's like a sandwich, they're, it's not because they're getting bad food. I guess it's fine, but they're not, they don't care about like salmon and lobster or anything like that. Like, is that really an issue that kids are upset? Like they're asking for like high quality dining as opposed to their friends actually getting a meal. So, no. Um, and I, I think, I mean, obviously being in, in a wealthy County, um, you know, some, Families might have different expectations than others. And, you know, I, I will be the first to admit that there's always room to improve. Um, but, you know, the uh, the cost of covering uh, for free lunches is definitely not our barrier to improving. Uh, when you have areas of opportunity, when it comes to vendors, when it comes to partnering with, oh, so many of the local farms that we have here in Loudoun County, um, when it comes to, you know, really utilizing our rich culture and background of um, the schools and getting um, some culturally representative meals in the county, making sure that, you know, uh, students and, and families that can eat meat or, um, you know, have dietary restrictions on the directions always have options. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it comes down to someone focusing on enacting, you know, whatever agenda they think uh, needs versus listening to the people in our community and, and figuring out some really smart, um, creative problem solving ways to, to get that done. Yeah. You mentioned culturally representative and that seems to be kind of like the anti buzzword on social, um, certain places, right? That, that people think that schools, especially in more liberal areas are more focused on, you know, making sure that every nationality and race and religion is represented before they get to learning phonics before they get to learning math um and i think really if you have kids in school you learn that that's not usually the case but how do you push back against that criticism from people who think that yeah people like nick just want to run so that they can push this liberal um identity agenda as opposed to the basics of education like what what's your response when you when you hear that uh from people on the other side that aren't really focused on the nuts and bolts of things yeah. Uh, so, I mean, look, Loudoun County uh, Public Schools is now a majority minority school system. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an extremely diverse county and every richness and opportunity and, um, you know, uh, uh, all the, the culture and value that comes with that. That's not going to change, right? We can't, you, you can't change the demographics of our county. Um but what you can do is embrace every opportunity that that brings with it. What you can do is make sure that every student, no matter what background they comes from, no matter what language they speak at home, no matter what country they were born in or came here from, is in an environment that welcomes them, that mm -hmm. is compassionate to those experiences, that elevates and utilizes those differences to build a community in the schools that looks like our community out of the schools. Um, because, you know, it's not a bubble in, in the school system. It is a direct 
uh, translation of the world outside of the school walls. And so, you know, it's not so much in enforcing things that aren't there, but recognizing the reality mm -hmm. and using it to build a better society for our students in the school buildings so that they can be better members of society when they leave the schools. Um, and we need to get frank about that because it's not changing and you can't change it. Um, so, you know, they can ignore it all they want and they can attach whatever narratives they would like to. But that's one of the things that makes our county great is so many exposures to different backgrounds and different languages. And, you know, every, um, every sort of story that comes out of that and every bit of knowledge that comes in the classroom and out of the classroom of that. And so, you know, let's act like this is something valuable because it is. Mm. And it's valuable in, in a company. It's valuable in a nonprofit. And it's valuable in our schools. That's a great answer. I really appreciate it. I mean, my son in first grade, like he was practically crying today in a good way because he wanted to watch his friend Ricardo walk home. And like, it's a pretty diverse elementary school we have here. And it's great to me. You know, our kids are two, you know, well-off, I'd say, white kids, and the their peer group is very diverse, and it's just normal to them as opposed to who's that kid who's different. And I think you talked about feeling different in school. What's that mean when you're not, when, when different is normal? And I don't mean, like, any one thing is different, but, like, yeah, everyone's got so many differences that being different is the normal way of being. What's that mean to you thinking about how the schools can be? Definitely. So, I mean, our schools are our tapestry of our community. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, for, for every difference that um, that students have and, and how they look, um, you know, what religion they are, um, they were born here, if they came here, etc. Um, it, it is something that they give to other students in their experiences, in their authenticity, um, in their compassion and, and willing to learn from one another. Um, you know, as someone who was probably the most visible um, gay person to, you know, come out and, and just be there in my high school, uh, it can be hard. Mm -hmm. You know, let, let's not pretend like everything is always, you know, perfect just because you are different. Um, but when I uh, had graduated um, a, a year or so afterwards, I got a note from someone um, who was a, a year or two below me. Um, who said, thank you for, you know, being yourself and being visible because it inspired me uh, to do the same. And I think that that is really important and showing up for each other in a community. I think it's important, you know, for, for teachers to show up in that way too. And if we can be brave enough to be ourselves, we can show each other that that's okay. And we can learn from another on a different level than what we normally do and be authentic and be caring. Um, and, you know, that's as much of a learning experience for society and for our future as that geography class that you're going into in between these conversations. Yeah, that, I think that's really important. And, um, yeah, I really appreciate that. So so two more important questions about schools. One, um, I especially have followed this from Florida, but I don't know what it's like there. But we've, we had here, even in my well-off, I'd say, school district, um, especially during COVID and all the policies there, some really aggressive and scary school board meetings. School board members who I know personally were getting uh, escorted to their car so they could feel safe. Is that something that 
you guys have experienced and you have to think about? Is that something that we need to... How do we get people like you to run for office when there seems to be a very serious threat based off of social media and all that um, against especially school board members? Definitely. Um, and, you know, I, I'll be fully transparent and honest that um, I, I get <laughs> the wackiest uh, but also threatening, you know, emails at, at 2 a.m. I, uh, you know, social media is, is a nightmare from some um, conservative folks aligned with one of my opponents. Um, there are people who want to see you fail um, and they will go through any steps necessary, um, some of them extreme, uh, to scare you from being on the right side of things, to dissuade you from standing up. And, you know, sometimes they are successful. And I've got really good folks that, you know, I've encouraged to, to run for office who are frankly afraid of that sort of exposure because it has been such an issue in Loudoun County um, in, in truly viable, uh, vile and reprehensible ways. I think uh, for me, you know, it, it was a, a hesitation when I decided to run and knowing um, less so for myself, but, you know, my family lives in this community um, and, and for their safety. And so I think for anyone um, who does decide to make this decision, you know, it's not an easy one um, and you do need some thick skin. Um, and so, you know, I recognize that I, I can deal with these things and I volunteered to be a pinata for these, these bad faith attacks so that we can stand up for what's right. And, you know, I, I judge a lot of it by seeing who's got an issue with me standing up for every student, mm. having these values and fighting for these policies. And it's the same folks that, you know, want to separate families at the border, the same folks who want to ban abortions across the country, the same folks who hold anti-democratic views. Um, and, you know, if we've got them mad, then we're doing something right. It means that we're standing up for folks in an America that, that has those values. And so, you know, so long as you surround yourself with a support network of uh, community members, of organizations, of elected officials that hold those same values and let them know that you've got their back and they'll let you know that they've got your back, um, you know, and, and there'll be tough times. There will be. Um, but there will be really, really great times when you accomplish great policy victories or have really good conversations at the door that remind you why you're doing this. And for me, that's been the, the saving grace in all the myths of these, um, these uh, you know, frankly ridiculous um, you know, threats and, and harassment and things like that. Yeah. And one other thing that you are doing to change things or stand up is that you're a young person running for school board. And this is something I want to end on here. It's important. The average age of a school board member in this country is in their mid fifties. And that's fine. Being in your mid fifties is not a bad thing. I'll be there at one point. Um, hopefully you'll be too. Hopefully all of us will. Um, but so it's hard to get young people to run for that kind of seat. What is the impact of having younger faces in education on school boards, not just in Loudoun County, but in districts across the country? What do you think that will do to change the approach to education? I think that it is an absolutely vital point of view to have in, in every room that decisions are made, but especially in, in school boards. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there there's a lot that's lost when people who haven't been sort of in the classroom for a while are the ones making decisions. And, um, you know, it goes back to our early conversation about being sort of detached from things. But, you know, also um, some cultural things and some generational things are absolutely 
um, important when it comes to making decisions. And I think that the biggest one, um, you know, for me looking at this is um, social media and technology. Um, and, you know, we, we've got school board members who, who don't understand how something as, uh, as simple as like Instagram works and who thinks that all their students are on Facebook. Um, and that couldn't be farther from the truth of the, the population that they serve. Um, and so even if they do, you know, get stats and learn, okay, you know, our students are using TikTok and, and all these other things, there is a, um, a knowledge that is really useful when it comes to creating cell phone policy guidelines, when it comes to, you know, student rights and responsibilities and, you know, the way that students conduct themselves and interact with different um, things like the internet, that's just, it's different and how younger people get it um and the same thing goes for you know recovering from virtual learning i mean i finished my bachelor's um on a powerpoint slideshow uh, graduation uh because of covid and so you know that that's going to impact how folks are, learn and how they um go back to the classroom in person uh for the next couple of years as well and so you know there there's no greater body um, in terms of its impact in our communities, I think, than our school boards, because we are raising the next generation of folks that are going to start these small businesses, that are going to staff the hospitals and the police stations, and, you know, that are going to start families of their own. And, um, you know, we really need to prepare them um, in a way that necessi um, that, excuse me, um, that is ready for the future. And I think that young people have a really cognizant understanding of where things are headed and where we want our communities to be. Um, and we have a real best interest in making sure that we get that right. Yeah, I think when I see people online or on Twitter or news stories of people who want to stifle the kind of conversations you can have in schools on different topics, I'm like, you know, these kids all watch youtube they all watch it. like they're not like not hearing about any of these things on their own already as soon as not just as soon as they leave school but like during lunch during break like they're all getting like my kids are talking about things that i definitely didn't talk about until i was a few years older so i do i don't think that people who are older nothing against who don't have kids in school understand all of the information that young people are getting constantly mm -hmm. Is that a fair assessment of how people are how, about how kids today in schools are just constantly bombarded with information and you can't run from it? Yeah, I, th I think it's absolutely correct. Um, and, you know, there's so many different layers of that um, from, you know, social media addiction and how algorithms impact, um, you know, how information flows to young impressionable students, um, you know, how students are interacting with each other. Um, and, you know, strangers in an online world, uh, you know, uh, news uh, misinformation and disinformation. There's so many layers out there. And, you know, for as much as the digital space can be a fantastic tool for learning and exploration, and it really elevates the type of education um, that we do in so many different areas of our school system, we also need to recognize how we can best uh, handle um, the different you know, threats and concerns that it presents to our school system um, and our students. And we really need someone who understands the, the systems themselves and uh, with, these, with these experiences to be able to actually create policy that works rather than just trying something and it, it failing uh, on day one. 
Well, I certainly don't want you to fail on day one. The best way you can succeed <laughs> is for people to learn more about you, follow you, and, and get more information. If people want to follow you and learn more about your issues and your campaign, what's the best way to, as you were talking about, follow on social media? Definitely. So all our social media handles are at Nick Gothard, N-I-C-K-G-O-T-H-A-R-D-V-A. Um, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, TikTok, if I can remember to make some TikToks. Um, and then, of course, folks can get some more information on our campaign and the uh, public uh, education ideals that we're running on at nickgothard.com. Great. Well, I really encourage everyone, even if you're not from Virginia, from anywhere in the country, follow Nick and, and get in touch and learn why school board's so important and maybe why you should be running for office or you should be encouraging someone else near you to take it seriously and run for school board as well. Thank you, Nick, and best of luck on your campaign. Thank you for having me, Tony.